NPR. Get ready, America. It's time for the big game. But before kickoff, we've got something even more exciting to share. Forget Monday night football. It's money night football. It's what makes the world go round. But do you know where it's going and why? Today on Indicators of the Week, everybody's favorite pregame show. No, not the Puppy Bowl. It is the Super Bowl-themed Indicators of the Week. I'm Darian Woods. I'm Kenny Malone from Planet Money. And I'm Adrian Ma. Get ready to learn, laugh, and cheer with us because the money game is about to begin. But first, a quick message from our sponsors for whom we are not charging exactly Super Bowl prices, but I'm sure they're paying a lot of money. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. It's Indicators of the Week, Super Bowl edition. Kenny Malone, are you, uh, are you kicking or receiving this time? I mean, we haven't done a coin toss. What is this? We missed the most obvious money joke here. <laughs> so my Super Bowl indicator this week, it's in a bit of a foreign language, and I'm going to see if you can translate it. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Okay. It is KC plus 1.5. Do you know what KC plus 1.5 means, Darian or Adrian? Um, kick Captain 1.5 times. <laughs> no, not, not quite. Adrian? Is this a new, like, Kentucky Fried Chicken meal? It should be. It should be. It is not. KC plus 1.5 is sports betting language for the Kansas City Chiefs are expected to lose by 1.5 points. That's what that means. Gambling parlance. Yes, I I chose a a sports betting indicator because it is quite possible that this year's Super Bowl will go down as the moment sports betting stepped out of a shadow economy in the United States. So not just dice in the alley these days. No, like an actual serious business that has been legalized and brought above board, uh, which is kind of bananas to think about because exactly like five years ago, if you wanted to bet on the Super Bowl, you know, you, you could fly to Vegas, I suppose, or you could go to some sketchy offshore sports betting website, or you could go to some definitely illegal bookie in the Bronx. Those were kind of your options until in 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a federal law that had kind of cordoned off sports betting to mostly Nevada. And once that law was down, state after state after state started to legalize sports betting. More than half of the country now lives in sports betting states. And this year's Super Bowl, for the first time ever, is being played in a state with sports betting, Arizona. Does that mean like you could be like standing outside the game and betting on the game at the same time? Uh, In this case, yes, yes, you can. And so like it is worth mentioning that like in five years, we went from... I got a bookie down in the Bronx, too. Oh, oh, hello, <laughs> sir. May I hold your drink before you place a wager before the big game? Like, this happened so fast. It's everywhere. And, you know, for better or worse, depending on how you feel about it. Uh, Adrian, what's, what Super Bowl indicator 
is super exciting to you? What have you got? Yes. Uh, I, my indicator is something that uh, I happen to feel very strongly about. It's a very important indicator released this week, just in time for the Super Bowl, and it is 49%. So according to a nationally representative survey of 2,000 U.S. adults, 49%, nearly half of those surveyed, said that running out of snacks while watching the Super Bowl would actually be worse than having their team lose the Super Bowl. Whoa. Okay. That's wrong. Those people are wrong. (laughs) This survey is from uh, the Frito-Lay company, you know, the chip company. Uh Uh, Works in their interests. It is part of what they call their snack index. All right, so you got some highfalutin indicators on the the indicator? Yeah, this is a fun-yun. Fun one. (laughs) Obviously, this survey is kind of a joke. Um, I cannot attest to its econometric rigor of this study-slash-press-release. What I do know is that I am a snack-driven creature, and I cannot resist an excuse to talk about snacks on the show. Uh, This might ruffle some feathers, Adrian. (laughs) Keep it going. Yes, that is two on the board. Let me just get your reaction to a couple of more findings from this survey. 60% of Gen Z snackers are more likely than older generations to prefer flavor dust. You know, the stuff that sticks to your fingers when you've been ruffling around in the bag. So is is the distinction whether you like it on your fingers or whether you like flavor dust? I think they said in the survey that they like it when it sticks to your fingers. Yeah. I could hear that as, I like it when there's so much flavor dust that that it sticks to my fingers. They may not like the finger stick, but they just want all the flavor dust. And for that, I say, let me join you, Gen Z. I'm with you. (laughs) Okay, here's another one. Apparently, 60% of the respondents said they also have, quote, bonded over snack preferences with people they have struggled to make conversation with, including partners, friends, or family. Snacks bringing people together. Uh, One more very important statistic. Three out of 10 respondents say they have gotten into arguments over snack flavors. Sometimes you gotta let sleeping dogs Frito-Lay. Oh, Cracker Jack. All right, I think I think even with all the uh, the snack talk, we still have room for one more Super Bowl indicator. Darian, take us to the touchdown zone. That's right, Adrian. <laughs> what is... It's called an end zone, but please never cut this. <laughs> My indicator is also about the Super Bowl. Mr. Speaker... Wait a second. Wait a second. Darian. Yes. Darian. Yes. I didn't do the Super Bowl. I have no interest in sports whatsoever. Uh, So my indicator is from the Super Bowl of politics, the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I watched this at a friend's place. He had it going on his overhead projector. We ate onion soup. Your favorite Super Bowl snack is onion soup. (laughs) I did not get onion soup on my fingers. (laughs) Back to the State of the Union. One thing that really caught my ear, apart from... The booing and the, the chaos was this. Corporations ought to do the right thing. That's why I propose we quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks and encourage long, long-term investments. More taxes on stock buybacks. So there was this 1% tax added to stock buybacks in January, and Joe Biden is proposing to raise it to 4%. 4%? Okay. So a bit of Stock Buybacks 101 is uh, when a company makes profits, it's got three options. It can reinvest that money in new equipment and staff, or it can give the profit back to investors in the form of a dividend, or it can buy back some of its own shares. And so that means the remaining shareholders will see their share price rise because there's fewer shares out there. But 
it is controversial, right? You've probably heard all this discussion about stock buybacks. I've definitely heard a lot of people yelling about it. Yes, people do yell about it. Executive pay is often linked to the price of shares. So critics say it's tempting for a CEO to get the company to buy back shares and jack up the share price and get a higher paycheck themselves. That's even if the money that the company made would be better spent investing in new plants or on worker pay. I suppose the other side of this would argue what, like... Why is this any different than dividends? Um, this is a way of of rewarding shareholders. It's going through like a more complicated route, uh, but you know it's not it's not bad news, right? I don't know. Yeah, these are debates that are being had. But well, what is clear is that stock buybacks have tax benefits compared to dividends. You don't have to pay any taxes on the rising share prices until you actually sell the shares. So whatever the merits of this policy, this would go some way to reducing some of those tax advantages. Look, it is good that you've brought some some actual uh, political discourse to an otherwise frivolous, chip-heavy episode. That's right. I do wonder, um, what are the odds of Rihanna opening the Super Bowl halftime show with Umbrella, Darian? She has a lot of hits, though. Lots to choose from. I'd say plus 0.9. Hey, that's not really that's not really how it works, but I love it. (laughs) This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering from Catherine Silva. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez, VLA is our senior producer, Kate and Cannon edits the show, and the indicators of production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash on investing or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.